Welcome to another episode of the Looking After Nature podcast, where we hope to bring you close to nature and wildlife in Hampshire. My name is Andy Davison. I'm here once again with my co-host Carly Harris. Hi, Carly. Hi, Andy. And today we've come to one of our county farms near Winchester. Yes, it's a lovely day. It's nice to be out again in the sunny weather, and it's a really nice morning. It is, and we can hear lots of birds singing. So we've come here today to talk about farming, and we've got a couple of special people to talk to, haven't we? We have. We're going to talk today to Rosie Salt and Debbie Watkins. Morning, Rosie. How are you today? Morning, Andy. I'm very well, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm fine. It's lovely to get out. We're quite early start, but it's a lovely morning. Well, they're on a farm. We've got the motorway quite close, but it's not too intrusive. It's quite lovely here, isn't it? This is a really lovely spot, actually, just on the outskirts of Winchester, by the water meadows, near St Cross. It's a lovely spot. Now, you work for the County Council. You're not part of the Countryside Service. You work closely with us. But what do you actually do? I am in the Rural Estates team, and we manage the County Farm Service, as well as um, helping to look after the other rural sites that the Council holds. So say county farms, I mean, some of you might be a bit surprised that the county council owns farms. So what, why, why do they own farms? Um, so they were established in the interwar years and grew from there under le- legislation designed to support entry into the farming industry for appropriately qualified new entrants, initially to help produce food, but now it's to support and keep the rural economy going. So is it for new, I mean, clearly it can be quite difficult for young farmers and um, new entries to come in and buy a farm. Is uh, is it there to support them partly? Yes. um, Obviously not everyone is lucky enough to be able to buy a farm. They're rather expensive. Um, And not everyone who has, you know, the skills, enthusiasm and ability to be a farmer happens to be lucky enough to be a farmer's son set to inherit one. Um, so the, the county farms are there really for those who have that drive and enthusiasm and you know, business know-how uh, for farming to have that opportunity in their own right to farm under their own steam and see where they can take themselves. So you've got the River Itchin just beyond there I think which is one of the, chalks, one of the famous chalk streams in Hampshire but mm. it's not, the Triple SI isn't just the itch, although it's called the River Itchin Triple SI, it's not just the river, you've got this bits of water meadow and um, lush grass on either side as well, which yeah. is that is an example of, isn't it? Yes, tenant here, he only took over the farm in 2019, is young and enthusiastic and he's currently looking into different environmental schemes that he might be able to enter that would help to support him looking after those meadows for the years to come. Because one of the things that um, the countryside gives us we talk about um, looking after nature so nature can look after us mm. clearly it's got clean water and pollinators and carbon sequestration but food is one of those things as well so we, we have to make sure you know we can't rewild or set everything aside for countryside so we have to farm to produce the food that we need don't we we do and i would like to think um that there's a bit of a sea change in people wanting more nowadays to support um, their local farmers and buy more locally. The beef um, from this holding is sold to local butchers um, and is in, can be found in local pubs. Uh, he has some pigs here that he is uh, growing in partnership with a local butcher who makes award-winning sausages. Um, and 
there, there is definite, you know, on, on this uh, county farm's estate, there's not just this farm. We have a couple of others, uh, one of which produces Jersey milk and he has a vending machine which people can go to and is very well supported. Um, yeah, there's a, just a real drive from the people in Hampshire to support their farmers and eat and buy as local, seasonal as possible, which is fantastic. Because British farming has got a very high relative worldwide Hugely. ethical standards for animals. Yeah, our welfare standards go above and beyond most other countries. Um, certainly, you know, our pigs have much higher welfare standards than, say, Danish ones. Um, the the fertilisers that we're allowed to use um, are, are a lot less harmful and used a lot more carefully um, than on crops in other countries. The cattle here are obviously uh, red tractor assured, uh, which is an important mark of assurance for people when they're out buying their food you know that it's come from a farm that looks after its animals look after, looks after its land so that red tractor that's what appears on the packaging that you if you pop down to your local supermarket yeah exactly if you go to the supermarket and you see a red tractor um, on your pack of meat or carrots or whatever you can rest assured that that farm has been through a strict quality control Debbie and Carly talked about conservation and farming and clearly there's a move now to get more conservation on farms so that the wildlife and farming can sit together. What are, what are the county farms doing to move towards that? I'm glad you asked Andy. Uh, we have recently reviewed our county farms policy and as part of that uh, the council has um, committed to encourage our tenants to aim for a higher standard of farming. Um, so we've, we, you know, we've started fa fairly small but definitely hit the ground running in that for the last couple of years we've had um, our farmers undertake winter farmland bird surveys um, which has been great because we found that we've got quite a few red and amberless species across our holdings. Um, in addition to that we're very much encouraging those tenants who don't already to look into possible stewardship schemes be that the uh, countryside stewardship or looking to get into the sustainable farming incentive pilots, all with a view to eventually getting them all into um, the environmental land management scheme when that comes available. And as part of it, we have started on a farm by farm basis, looking at um, the makeup of those holdings and what they have in terms of natural capital. Um, so for example, a farm just up the road from here, um, we undertook this work and we noted that it was between two sinks, sites of importance for nature conservation, and realised therefore it had great potential for brimming over and as a bit of a stepping stone habitat between those two sinks, uh, one of which is particularly um, important for butterflies. And so as part of that, we could see that it made sense for some pollen-rich strips to be sown um, along boundaries. and. The idea of these is that we don't necessarily dictate to the farmers what we think should do, it's to give them the information so that they can take yeah. ownership and pride in coming up with a plan to improve that holdings, biodiversity and sustainability. And it's that natural capital, because as I say, alongside the food that these farms produce, 
and say you've got woodlands that sequester carbon and, and take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Yeah. These water meadows here along the edge we're talking about, um, they act as buffers to the, as well as being important in themselves because they're going to be full of all sorts of insects and plants. Mm. You know, they'll um, buffer the, the river itself from any, um, you know, that small amount of fertilizer and stuff you put in yeah. will be absorbed with that before it gets into the river. Exactly. Um, any sort of runoff uh, where the water might be eroding silt in, it'll capture that before it goes into the river. Mm -hmm. So there's all these, um, I keep talking about nature-based solutions. And it's, and it's good because, you know, nature will do this for free quite often, you know. Yeah, and farmers are definitely waking up to the fact that, you know, there's um, a benefit to be had in employing these nature-based solutions to assist with their their day-to-day -day farming operations. Because there are some parts of the world where there's, they've um, depleted the habitat so far, there's no bees left anywhere there, so there's nothing to pollinate the crops that they've no. got. So they have to bring in lorry loads of bees, don't they? They do. Um, luckily, we don't have to do that here. So, We've I mean, all these things you're doing in terms of strip pollinator strips, that supports the pollinators, which hopefully go and pollinate your crops. Yes. Um, I mean, we do have um, or have had, you know, uh, arrangements between our tenants and local beekeepers, which is, you know, worked for them. They get the bees to help pollinate their crops and they might get a jar of honey as well. Um, and then the beekeepers get to enjoy their pastime as well and have you know access to a bit of the countryside. Now you talked about red and amberless birds what those are is where they've um, they put it's set criteria for the different lists uh, they put together and it's where how far they've declined nationally so some of these species like yellowhammer, um, lapwing they've over the last few decades really where farming got really intensive and mm -hmm. you know people were paid to take hedgerows out and push, make much bigger fields. Yeah. Um, the uh, this has impacted the birds particularly so much that uh, you know they're virtually disappearing from our countryside, and that's what the red and amber list is talking about. Yeah. Um, so the survey was done, I think, in partnership with the Game and uh, Wildlife Conservation Trust, um, and we've also got some uh, summer bird surveys coming up with the help of our colleagues in um, ecology mm -hmm. uh, and also some people from the British Trust for Ornithology. Um, so we're quite excited to see the results of those and to keep working towards um, ensuring that we, we're doing what we can to support farmland birds from declining further. Mm. So just looking down at this gate here, I can see, I mean, clearly it's always best to keep a continuous cover of grass because that binds the soil, mm -hmm. stops erosion. Yeah. And apart from the fact it will, could wash it into the river, you know, farmers don't want to lose their topsoil, do they? It's where the main richness is, isn't it? It is. And um, also as part of, of these um, assessments of the holding, we've been making a point of getting soil samples taken, yeah. um, not just of, uh, you know, to understand how much phosphates and nitrogen are in there, but also to get an understanding of the organic matter levels. Um, and this, you know, we've only just really started on this journey, but it's certainly something that we are going to continue to pursue to make sure that we're not depleting um, the topsoil across our estate yeah. and if anything, improving it. But I can see there's a couple of little muddy patches over by those gates over there where and I've been seeing swallows coming down to those patches and what they're actually doing because clearly you've got farm buildings behind us here mm. and they make little shelf nests they, out of mud oh. 
So okay. basically they, they will stick them to a rafter um, and make a little cup out of mud yeah. and line it with feathers. And they're, they're going to be breeding up in these buildings here. And they're actually coming down here to collect the mud to make their nests. Oh, how lovely. So the cows being nosy by the gates next to the footpath is um, helping the birds. Absolutely. And there's all these there's some funny little plants you get in these marginal little habitats, you know, where there's, you know, with the ground slightly disturbed. So a little bit of disturbance here and there is fantastic. And we're actually looking up a hedgerow here as well. So we've got a lot of hawthorn, it looks like, and there's an ash up there. Um, but quite often, you know, on a farm, because it, I suppose it's perceived tidiness. I think I'm an advocate for untidiness because that's what li wildlife love. Yeah, so here are um, tenant who I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying is quite tidy by nature and a little bit OCD about things. He's really embracing the, the natural aspect of this holding and letting things get a little bit untidier where he knows that there'll be a benefit to wildlife. We're also um, looking into planting quite a lot more hedgerow across the County Farms estate. Um, we have some holdings that are part of a cluster group um, and there is some funding available through that to plant some new hedgerows. So I'm discussing with the tenants there where hedgerows might be planted this winter. So that's quite exciting as well. And it's quite key is how the, those hedgerows are managed because quite often you can see those little sort of box shaped square topped low yeah. hedges where it's ploughed right up to the base of the hedge. Exactly. And A shape is really what we're after. Decent height, decent width and a little bit of margin on either side. Yeah, because I mean, that's quite important. Looking at this hedgerow in front of us here. So we've got all the, the scrubby species, the hawthorns and um, that's a field maple, I think. Um, but also you've got this, as you say, an A-shape. So the tall bit of the hedge with some standard trees in quite often. Mm. But then the margin is that area of um, things like nettles and goose grass and long grass at the edge there, which could be a couple of metres wide. Um, and that's quite often where a lot of these birds nest. Mm. You know, if we're talking about yellow hammers, they don't nest in the tops of trees. Some people think all birds nest in trees and bushes. They're quite often within a metre of the ground, yeah. at the base of the hedge. And something like a white throat, again, which is another typical farmland bird, they'll nest in the nettly bits. So they're not, they like the hedges to sing from and feed in, but they'll nest in the bit next to the hedge. So that's why it's quite important to develop these areas and not, mm. not go right up to the margins. Yeah. Well, it's been good to meet you out here, Rosie. It's a lovely day and it's nice and early in the morning, which is always good. And it's always good to see, as I probably keep saying on these, <laughs> to see you in person as opposed to on a, a screen. Yeah, it's always lovely to catch up, Andy. We, we've worked closely together before um, and we'll continue to do so. So thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Carly. So you are the Rural and Land Manager for the Countryside Service, aren't you? What does that mean? That means that uh, I oversee um, a number of our teams working out on our rural sites across Hampshire, um, of which we've got quite a few. You're not just a manager with the Countryside Service, you're also a farmer in your spare time? Yes, indeed, I am um, at home. Uh, I'm part of an enterprise where um, we have dairy, uh, we're a mixed farm actually, mm -hmm. which includes arable, dairy, beef, um, and sometimes sheep. So we've come to this farm today because there's quite often a perceived 
conflict between conservation and farming, isn't there? There is. And um, I mean, that's kind of prevailed for quite some time. But I think actually what's happening and, and there is a real opportunity now to move all of that closer together. You know, lots of farmers are actually managing their farms very sustainably and are actually very active in enhancing, uh, enhancing the wildlife on their farms. Yeah, it's not all about ripping out hedgerows and chucking chemicals everywhere anymore, is it? No, it isn't. And, and it is actually still quite highly regulated. So those things you know it's quite difficult to sort of mm -hmm. do these things but um apart from that on top of that even um a lot of farmers are kind of leading the way in actually looking at how they can enhance their farms for for many things for clean water for um, wildlife um, to produce sustainably produce food and local food that's really high quality mm -hmm. and there's no need anymore is there to produce food at the expense of wildlife no, I think it can be done and the beauty is that all farms are different, mm -hmm. all countryside's different and that in itself creates the diversity that we could be, you know, taking advantage of for wildlife. And the farm we're here today, we can hear, I can hear all sorts of birds singing, I'm looking at a nice Herefordshire bull and some lovely hedgerows and long grass and also some lovely water meadows. We have, and these water meadows are sites of special scientific interest and the farmer has actually started to manage those really sympathetically with no fertiliser inputs. He regulates how much the grazing is um, and consequently what he gets is some really nice looking meat potentially and, mm -hmm. and it's all farming clean water as well as some really nice wildlife rich grassland yeah and i bet those steaks taste a bit nicer than well they do say that um that meat grown on wildlife rich grassland is is tastier mm -hmm. and better for you yeah definitely farming needs wildlife to help produce its food doesn't it it does i mean it's been kind of fairly well documented now that if you have really good pollinator strips and areas um for for insects that they will form part of that a pollination and and, it, and actually pest control as well. Yeah, natural predators. Yeah. Now we are looking very much with our management on our countryside estate of joining it up and working together at a landscape scale yes. and brimming over. Yes, I think what 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 the ideal aspiration would be is where you don't see the join, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the countryside is the countryside. I mean, even on our own nature reserves, we graze animals because that's yeah. a management tool for managing them in the best way. Mm -hmm. um, so if we're working with adjacent farmers and we're understanding that throughout a whole landscape or a catchment that, that we're working together and more in partnership, you know we can help each other out we can do more mm -hmm. and actually you know the whole then becomes greater than the sum of its parts yeah in terms of in the environment so you mentioned catchment there what exactly is a catchment so catchment is a river catchment so if you imagine that you're at the top of a catchment which is the top of where the river might start mm -hmm. and it will flow down to where it either goes out to a sea or a bigger or whether it joins a bigger river there will also be along the side of it um, smaller streams that feed into that river mm -hmm. and that catchment will be made up of houses farms nature reserves other activities country parks you know and they will have their part to play in helping to manage that ca that water catchment mm -hmm. so whatever we do is about 
playing our part in that and that is and again going back to the to the water meadows here if you're not putting fertilizer and it's not going in the river you've got clean clean water yeah. which is then clean when you take it out the other end to drink and you're not having to pay to clean it up yeah there are an awful lot of really cool projects now looking at how you can have natural um natural solutions to to keeping your water clean mm -hmm. rather than just erecting a big you know cleaning station yeah. um, to take the dirty water out and added lots of chemicals to our water exactly so it's a bit of a win-win so if you've got a really nice natural solution to clean water you've also got a natural solution to improving wildlife mm -hmm. um, more insects more butterflies more birds and, and but you're still farming that land potentially yep. so they're not mutually exclusive definitely not what choices can people make to help support their local farmers and their local wildlife? So I think the most obvious one is where you buy your food from or at least understanding where it comes mm -hmm. from and how it's produced. I mean everybody's different and everybody has different needs and budgets but there's usually, even if you just change one thing, um, so are you changing from your avocado to your locally produced carrots and cabbage or are you eating less meat but better quality meat mm -hmm. so rather than having meat every day are you are you looking at eating meat three times a week um, but from a better quality and produced a more environmentally sustainably produced source yeah and buying seasonal products is really good isn't it it is really good and actually you get the best flavour and the best the best quality and we have been for so long um, been fortunate really to kind of just have everything all year mm -hmm. round but I think we can all appreciate a homegrown tomato or a, a homegrown strawberry yeah. they are far superior in taste um, fresher better for you contain all the better nutrients and, and of course they don't have such a long journey time no. And that's it. I'd rather eat a strawberry from down the road than I would from that's come on an aeroplane. Yes. Well, thank you very much for coming out and talking to us today, Debbie. It's been great to see this farm and to hear the wonderful birds all around us. It's been my pleasure, Carly, because it's always great to go and have a look around another farm and see what great works are being done. It was great to hear about the farming uh, that we do in the county as well as you know the work that's been done with conservation and farming right across the country isn't it it is and it's not just they're not just farms anymore they're much much more than that they are wildlife rich areas and i can hear we've got actually got loads of house sparrows here their species decline quite a lot but they they find loads of places of nest in a farmyard like this as well as spilt seed and stuff like that mm -hmm. there's lots going into the rafters of the barn over there yeah, we talked about. I talked to Rosie about the, the swallows that are picking the mud up from uh, the little puddles over there to make their nests. Mm -hmm. And the hedgerows are really rich as well. As I say, we've we've talked about this this hawthorn and blackthorn, and there's actually some lovely dog roses in that hedgerow over there climbing up through. Look, climbing up through the elder. Now I like elder because you can make lots of things with elder, elderflower cordial, elderflower wine, elderflower champagne even. It's actually got a huge amount of uses. Um, it was once known as a witch's tree because mm -hmm. you can get all sort of medicinal things from it. Um, you can turn the, 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 the stems of the, the twigs that are hollow and they've got like a pith in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. And if you clear the pith out, you can make whistles from it. Yeah. And it's quite, it's a very hard wood as well. So it's all got all sorts of different uses. And I've mentioned the bull in the field next to us here. It's probably one of the most recognisable species. So I know nothing about cows, Andy. What is this? This is a Hereford bull. Okay, so it's not a cow at all? No, it's quite obviously a bull. It um. is most definitely <laughs> obviously a bull. Now, I know you can't see this on a podcast, but it's definitely a boy. Um, but it's got the thing that it's a Hereford bull, this one, and most people recognise this one because it's this lovely tan colour. Mm-hmm. It can be all shades of brown with a white head, mm-hmm. quite a woolly head. I remember my nan having a china one of these on a, on a mantelpiece. And people recognise these really well and they make some lovely beef yeah. and as you might expect they originate in Hereford. A lot of these breeds of cows, you know, you get the Devon Reds, the um, Gloucester cows. Mm-hmm. So quite often they're named after the region they're from and these were originally developed in Hereford. But these have gone right around the world. They're recognised for their the quality beef they can produce. I've got a fun fact about beef, Andy. What's your fun fact, Carly? So, Andy, do you know how sirloin got its name? I've heard several different stories, Carly. What's your one? So, King James I is said to have knighted a particularly tasty loin of beef during a meal in 1617. And the historians are divided over whether the story is true. But according to the Lancashire tradition, James I drew his short sword and told the Horton Tower pages to bring the beef to him. Then went down on his knees and the king said, Arise, sirloin. That's a nice story, isn't it? It's a good story. It's always good to have those sort of stories. I think it varies to which king it is. I think it does. <laughs> like all of these um, stories. But I've also heard that um, it might be from the French. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's the cut above. I might be totally wrong. We'll probably get some butchers phone in. Um, Hang on, isn't one of your friends a butcher? Yeah, yes he is. Well, I'll ask him next time I see him. Um, But it's the cut on the animal above the loin. Uh The French above the sirloin, above the loin. Uh I like the story of it being knighted more. Well, it's lovely because there's a lot of French in in talking about meat. Because if you think about, you don't talk about, I'm eating a pig, you're eating pork. Mm -hmm. Um, And also you might have mutton which is the French for sheep is mouton. Um, And that's to do with the Normans invading. Um, And all the common people, when they managed the animals, they were talking about the pig. But when it got to the table, the French lords were talking about the animal in French. So they talk about mouton and porc and all this sort of thing. So it's it's an amazing history to some of this. We're never quite sure what's right, are we? So I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Looking After Nature. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, let us know by checking out our social media pages. And we'd really appreciate it if you rate and review our podcast on iTunes, as this helps other people find us. For now, thanks again for listening. I'm Andy Davidson. And I'm Carly Howard. See you next time.